turn on your Bible or open your Bible and turn to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, uh, I'm going to give you a little background to 1 Kings 19, uh, which is 1 Kings 18, all right? It is a, one of the great stories of the Old Testament and involves the uh, prophet Elijah. Elijah was a prophet used by God mightily, miracles and uh, prophetic uh, statements that uh, he made and prayed, and uh, God honored him in uh, amazing ways. Now, in uh, 1 Kings 18, if you're looking there, uh, you'll see the story develop of Elijah facing the 400 prophets of Baal, okay? Israel, is, as often was the case, and especially in the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, they had apostatized and turned their backs on God, and now they were worshiping the uh, god Baal, uh, which uh, is uh, a, a very dark and wicked chapter of Israel's history, um, yeah, where they would sacrifice their children to Baal, and uh, it, uh, it was a, a great stain upon the land of, of Israel, uh, who uh, should have been uh, worshiping the Lord God. So it's come to a point where Elijah challenges the prophets of Baal to see if Baal was the God that they should worship, or it should be the Lord God of Israel. And they met on Mount Carmel in Israel, and, and uh, been privileged to uh, be at Mount Carmel a, a couple of times. You overlook the Jezreel Valley, uh, and uh, the valley, if you will, of Armageddon, and uh, know the history that has happened there, and will happen, history that hasn't happened yet, will take place in that, in that uh, valley. The 400 prophets of Baal, all of Israel, and the prophet Elijah. Now, prophet Elijah alone is, is the one person in Israel who still worships the Lord God. And so he says, here's the challenge. You build an altar to Baal, and you pray, and you call down fire upon the sacrifice. You can't light the sacrifice. You can't put fire under it. But you can build the altar, you can build, uh, put the sacrifice on the, on the altar, and you call for your God to, to answer by fire and consume your sacrifice. And I will do the same. So you can choose to go first, or I will go first. And the prophets of Baal said that they would go first. And so they did that. They built their altar, they laid the wood on it, placed the animal sacrifice on the on the altar and began to call out to the god Baal to answer by fire by consuming the sacrifice on the altar that they had built. And it took an hour, it took two hours, it took three hours, and Baal was not answering their call. He had not answered by fire. And, uh, and so they began to cut themselves in desperation that, that uh, Baal would uh, somehow see their uh, intense uh, desire to, for him to answer and, and yet he was silent and it was getting near the end of the day and they had finally stopped. And Elijah 
then takes his, his turn and he builds an altar to the Lord. And he lays upon the altar wood and the animal sacrifice is placed there. And then he does an additional thing. He, did, he digs a ditch around the altar. And then uh, further from that, he commands that water be brought and poured upon the altar and the sacrifice to the point where the water ran off the altar and filled the ditch that had been dug around the altar. And I don't know about you, but if you wanted you know, God to answer you know, by fire, I, I probably wouldn't douse the uh, sacrifice with water. <laughs> but here it is. Water has saturated the sacrifice. And then Elijah, in front of all of Israel, in front of the 400 prophets of Baal, simply bows his head and prays a simple prayer, saying, God, would you show your great power and authority to answer by fire, by consuming this sacrifice. And in front of their eyes, fire falls from heaven upon the sacrifice. It consumes the sacrifice and it licks up the water that was in the ditch poured over the, over the altar and uh, everything is consumed. And uh, it's a great victory. Israel begins to shout, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And, and vow to worship only the Lord God from that point forward. And uh, capitalizing upon that, Elijah commands that the 400 prophets of Baal be slain uh, for their wickedness, which they are overcome and the prophets are slain. Now, would you think that that would be a great victory? I mean, if you were uh, part of that, you saw that, and you saw God's fire fall out of heaven and consume the sacrifice that had been uh, saturated with water. I mean, that would be an incredible victory in all of Israel turning their hearts back to God. Uh, I think that would be a high moment uh, in anybody's life, and certainly in the ministry and the life of Elijah, it was a high point. Now, with all of that excitement and with all of that victory, you would think that that would be a lasting sort of uh, moment, but you turn the page to 1 Kings 19. And something totally unexpected comes to pass. So 1 Kings 19, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 right now. It says, And Ahab, who's the king of Israel, who had come down to watch this this, uh, challenge and this sacrifice, uh, and they they go back to uh, Samaria, and uh, it says, Ahab told Jezebel, his wife, his queen, all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, He arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. 
And he prayed that he might die. Now, this is curious to me, because if he wanted to die, he could have just stayed where he was, right? Jezebel would have taken care of that for him. But here he is, uh, you know, depressed and fearful. He prays that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, and suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals in a jar of water. And there by his head was a cake baked on coals, and laid down again, I'm sorry. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. The Horeb, Mount Horeb, was the same place where Moses, when they had uh, made the exodus from Egypt, went up on the mount and received the Ten Commandments from God. Same place, same mountain. And uh, Elijah runs to that place, and it says, and there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Sometimes in our lives, um, we experience the same kind of highs and lows as Elijah. And it can be disillusioning. You know, things are going great. We're making great time. Everything is sunny and calm. And then all of a sudden, it isn't. Things are difficult. And it just seems like, you know, something is wrong. Something is broken. And all of a sudden, our lives are not going so great. And we aren't making great time. And it's no longer sunny and calm in our lives. It's, it's a true thing that sometimes our greatest victories in life are followed by our lowest lows. Our greatest victories are followed by our greatest challenges or sorrows. And just when we feel like we have all of our problems licked or at least figured out, then we don't. There's a new set of problems. There's twists in, in the plots that we did not anticipate and all of a sudden it catches us off guard. I don't know if you've ever had a uh, kind of a sequence of things in your life where maybe it just felt like you were on top, things were going well, and then all of a sudden they crashed. And you wonder what had happened. Well, here Elijah is experiencing this, and, and uh, you know, there's some things here that maybe, you know, we encounter... And it may confirm our deepest fears. <clears throat> you know, our, our fears are, are interesting. Is that we can create the very thing that we are afraid of. By rehearsing that, by speaking it, by confessing that, we can create the very things that we're afraid of happening. And, uh, and I, I think there's spiritual warfare involved in that. You know, our, our fears are what the enemy uses to uh, bring defeat in our lives. And when we're out there talking about our fears, confessing our fears, 
We're just informing Satan how he can attack us. Now, during war times, and especially in the, in the First World War, Second World War, is that soldiers were uh, forbidden to tell you know, their friends or family where they were going or when their, when their ship would be leaving port to, to go across the ocean uh, to fight the battle on the other side. And there was a slogan that they developed to help people remember not to talk about their, their departure uh, when they would go to war. And that was the slogan, Loose Lips Sink Ships. Okay? Why? Because the enemy's listening. The enemy's listening and saying, okay, a ship is, a troop ship is leaving on this day uh, at this time, and we can intercept that and sink it in the ocean before those soldiers ever get across the ocean to fight the war. And oftentimes, I, I think sometimes our loose lips, because we're out there talking about our fears, confessing our fears, all of that, um, we, uh, the enemy is listening. Now, one thing that's important for us to remember about the attributes of God, now God is, is omniscient. That means he knows everything. There's nothing that God, uh, that God does not know. It's important to know that, but it's also important to know that Satan does not share that attribute of God. Satan does not know your thoughts. Satan does not know your fears. Now, he is listening, and if we're out there confessing and, and spouting our fears out, then he can use that to bring defeat in our lives. In the book of Job, there's a verse of scripture that, that uh, kind of illustrates this. Job chapter 3 and verse 25. This is Job's confession. It, all the evil has befallen him. His family is dead. His, his riches have been stolen and uh, taken. And uh, all that he has, uh, his health, and, and all that has been destroyed. And this is his confession to his friends. He says, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I just wonder if at times, you know, in Job, um, Job knew the Lord. He was righteous. God was proud of him and uh, lived a honorable and righteous life before God and man. In the narrative of the book of Job, there's this conversation between God and Satan. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him in all the land. He is upright and just and has integrity. And Satan, again, as he does, accuses and he says, well, it is no wonder because you have set a hedge of protection around him that I cannot penetrate. If you take that hedge of protection away, then I will cause him to curse you to your face. And uh, so that hedge is removed and all this evil befalls Job. But I wonder if Satan did not know how to attack Job because Job had harbored these fears, even in all of the success of his life, even in his riches, even in his righteousness, he harbored these fears. And here he confesses it. The thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. And I think sometimes we go around and we confess our fears, and Satan knows where and how to attack us. 
And, uh, and so sometimes after even a great victory in our lives, it is followed by a great low, a great defeat. And uh, sometimes, you know, we can feel cut off from God at times like that. I think Job uh, confesses, you know, the fact that, that uh, it was hard to feel like God was, was listening to him. And, and uh, there he was all alone and by himself. It's almost like a fog or something settles upon you. I don't know if you've ever been out and then, you know, maybe, you know, zipping along, driving, and, and uh, everything's fine. You can see well, and then all of a sudden, you just go, you enter right into a, a bank of fog. Have you ever had that experience? I have it all the time crossing Bridge Access Road. <laughs> right there about the river where that, the steam off the river is, is rising, and, and uh, uh, you encounter it all the time. And, uh, and sometimes we feel kind of like that in life, like a fog envelops us and we don't know how to, how to navigate. We can't see. Often it's, it's too quiet. Our primary senses are cut off from helping us. And this is when our feelings can deceive us and lead us astray. There's a time um, that uh, we headed out and, uh, off of Deep Creek and launched our boat uh, and uh, headed out to uh, find halibut. And uh, we set down anchor. It was a calm sea day. And, uh, you know, just kind of sitting there waiting for the fish to bite. And before we knew it, we were enveloped in a fog. Anybody had that experience? Yeah, you're just out there and all of a sudden you can't see. You can't see anything. You can't see beyond your boat. You can't see uh, where you came from. You can't see which direction the shore is. You can't see other boats. Uh, anymore, and we had anchored in an area where there were a few other boats. You, you know how that goes, the logic is when you go out fishing, like you don't know where the fish are, so there's a whole bunch of boats over there. That must be where the fish are, right? So we head over there and we anchor up, and uh, we uh, are like all the rest of us around us uh, are enveloped in this fog, and you feel cut off, and uh, you wonder, oh boy, how, how long is this going to last and uh, how are we going to get back home? And uh, so we're, we're sitting there and uh, just kind of taking it calm and all, but, uh, you know, here's, here's the deal. When, when you find yourself in fog, maybe, maybe you're driving home tonight uh, and uh, all of a sudden you'll enter into some fog on the, on the highway, the first thing that we should do when we when we're cut off like that, when we're enveloped in fog, is slow down. <laughs> All right, does that sound like good advice? All right, yeah. Um, when you can't see where you're going, it's good to slow down. And uh, pay attention to important things, like where is the road? <laughs> And, uh, and, I'll, and, you know, sometimes, you know, we, uh, we think, you know, this isn't going to last long. We'll just keep going. And we can get ourselves into a lot of trouble if we don't just take our time. You know, paying attention to important things is, you know, when we slow down, it helps us pay attention to important things. I don't know if you've ever pondered the difference between something that's important and something that is urgent. Okay? Um... Things that are important are rarely, at first, urgent. So, you know, if, um, you know, 
your health, for instance. Maybe, you know, your health is doing just fine. I never go to the doctor, so I'm just fine. I, you know, I can wait to work, worry about my health. And it will wait. It will allow you to put that off. It uh, won't demand your, you know, until, until it's too late or until, until things get serious. And, uh, but it is important to pay attention to important things versus urgent things. Now, what's an urgent thing? Well, little, little Billy is, is late to wrestling practice. That's an urgent thing. It's not important, but it is urgent. And sometimes we trade off urgent things uh, instead of important things. And pretty soon we find ourselves running constantly, paying attention to what's urgent instead of what's important. Now, I'm going to date myself here, but I remember when I was a small child, we had variety shows on television after dinner. Anybody remember variety shows like the Ed Sullivan show? And, you know, there was all kinds of stuff like that. And uh, they would have a variety of things. And uh, they would have somebody bring in trained animals that did tricks. Or they would have acrobats. Or they would have a singing group or whatever. It was a variety of things. And uh, one, sooner or later, one of the things that they would feature is a man spinning plates on top of a pole. How many of you have ever seen anybody spin plates on top of a pole? Sounds kind of homely talking about it, but... (laughs) But he would start out on the stage and uh, have one pole and be able to put a plate on there and spin it and then keep it going just by moving the pole just so much and and it would stay up there and spin. And that was easy enough. And uh, then he put another one up and get that going. He could keep the two going pretty easy. It's kind of impressive. And then he'd add a third and a fourth and a fifth. And pretty soon he had a dozen plates spinning all over the stage and... uh, And the problem is, the longer he went, the more out of balance those plates became on top of those long poles. And and he would run and and, uh, make sure each one was was staying uh, up. And and finally, when he was on on the far side, one on the other side would wobble and begin to crash. And pretty soon everything was falling and plates were crashing everywhere and and, uh, couldn't keep up. And sometimes that's a picture of our lives. Sometimes we have a lot of plates spinning, and we think we can handle it, think, you know, things are going okay, but that's the picture of urgent things. We just add another urgent thing, and another urgent thing, and another urgent thing to our lives at the expense of paying attention to important things. As I said, important things will wait uh, for time, They don't tend to demand our time like urgent things, and so we neglect them. Our health, as I've already mentioned, sometimes our family, our marriages, those are important things that sometimes we neglect, but they will will wait for a time. Church, going to church, going to Bible study, you know, it's not not an urgent thing. Managing our financial situation, you know, pretty soon, you know, a little debt, a little more debt, a little more debt, and, and pretty soon important things become urgent. And when important things turn into urgent things, that's when we're 
really in trouble. And Elijah's situation often mirrors our own in, in this respect. He, as I said, he overcame the 400 prophets of Baal. Fire falls from heaven. Fire licks up the, the uh, sacrifice and water like fuel. And, and Israel turns back to the Lord. And uh, everything is the best it could be until Jezebel rises up and he ran for his life. All of a sudden, life was out of control. You know, and often we face Jezebel after we have mastered difficult things. And why do we, why do we fear when Jezebel rises up? Why do we lose trust in God after he has been so faithful and helped us over and over? I believe it's because our emotions uh, and our senses will lead us astray. God hasn't changed. God never changes. God is the same day after day after day. Only our trust in him changes. And if we stay stirred up, we will only lose our way and succumb to the fog that envelops us. So I think it's important for us to remember that when all of a sudden we feel like something has changed, life was good just a moment ago, and now things are different, it's a good place to slow down. The second, second thought is that we should listen. You know, we can learn a lot just by being quiet and listening. Uh, that time that we were out on, on my boat and, and the fog came and uh, enveloped us, um, we, uh, we just kind of quieted down so that we could hear. And uh, one of the things that we heard, and it was in the distance, but it was the sound of a larger boat. We could tell it was a larger boat because it was a diesel engine. And off in the distance, we could hear this chug, 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 chug. And uh, we kind of kept our ear tuned to that because we didn't want to all of a sudden out of the fog see this boat bearing down on us. We're on anchor. And uh, so we wanted to avoid that. So we're listening and, and trying to determine. And then we, we hear other boats that are moving. And, and uh, we hear sounds that come from the shore, the waves breaking on the shore and voices in the distance. And, and uh, it's easier to listen when things are still, when we slow down or when we stop and we make it a point to listen. You know, listening to the voice of God when, when we feel like, you know, we've been plunged into a fog. I, I just talked to somebody recently and, and uh, with tears in their eyes, they said, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. He says, it's just like, like I've fallen into this depression that I can't get out of. And uh, he says, I've never experienced it like this before. And, and uh, you know, at times like that, where we kind of lose touch with what's around us, is that we need to stop and we need to listen for the voice of God to speak to us. You know, a great place to hear the voice of God is right here. <laughs> right here in the house of the Lord. Um, there are times where, you know, my office is just adjacent here and, and uh, you know, we got phone and uh, we've got, you know, I've got my computer and you've got all kinds of distractions in there. And there are times where I just want 
to hear the voice of God. And I'll, I'll leave my office, I'll come in here, it's nice and quiet, the light's coming through the windows, and I'll just sit here right on the front row and just listen. It's a great place to hear the voice of God when we eliminate other distractions around us. It's easier to listen for the Lord's voice in some places rather than others. Getting back to 1 Kings 19, verses 11 and 12, Elijah kind of experiences this. The Lord is speaking to him, and, and the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. You know, sometimes our lives are so full of chaos, it's hard to listen. We got wind, we got earthquake, we got fire. But we can't hear the still small voice of God. And God will allow us to uh, be distracted and, and be our lives run by urgent things uh, if we want, if that's what we choose. But if we want to hear God, sometimes it's best to slow down, stop, and listen. One of the things that we could hear in the uh, fog, and if you've been on water much, you know that, that uh, voices carry a tremendous ways across water. And somebody who's maybe great distance away, you can hear their, their very conversation going on because it just travels so easily across the water. And so as we would sit, we, would, we could tell that there were still boats around us. We had gone out to where some other boats were. And, and, uh, and if we'd just be quiet enough, we could hear the conversations. And if we had to somehow get some help or or whatever, that would give us some direction as to where to head, because we, we could hear these voices uh, around us. And so sometimes, you know, it's hard to hear God's voice in the noise of life, but if we slow down, stop, if necessary, we can still listen to that still small voice. God will speak to us. I think what's important too when, uh, when we feel suddenly cut off from God and far away or disconnected in some way, I think it's important to observe. Observe what we can observe. And uh, when we feel disconnected from God, I think one of the great things that we could observe is how other people who live successful Christian lives live. And there's a lot of emphasis on having a mentor these days. And, uh, you know, there, there are different kinds of mentors. There can be intentional mentors where you are in a, you know, in a relationship with somebody and you say, I want you to mentor me. And they say, yes, I will. There are other kind of mentors that, that can even be historical in nature, or, but somebody that you watch and they don't even realize they're, they're playing that role in your life. But you notice something about them. You notice the way that they live. You notice the way that 
that uh, they, they navigate their life through the same kinds of things that, that you face and, and you watch them and how they respond and how they live and how uh, they, they uh, hear the voice of God. I think, it's, I think it's incredibly important for us to observe others around us. Stop if you have to, but observe the, the things that we can observe around us and, and, uh, and uh, learn from where, where you are. By intentionally observing, we discover that, you know, um, there are other boats nearby. You know, what seems at first, and you know, the nature of fog can be heavy and, and then thin and then heavy and thin and whatever. And by carefully observing when we're out there on the water, uh, we can see the faint outlines of, of boats at times uh, around us. And uh, again, that would give us some, some clue and some help if we were in need of it. And uh, I think in life, you know, we can see other people around us and, and how they are living and, and we can emulate that, uh, how they are navigating life successfully and living in the will of God and overcoming. And then fourth, trust your instruments. Now, when we're out there on the water, it was kind of before the days of uh, GPS being so easily available, I think it probably was, but we certainly didn't have GPS equipment, um, even a handheld uh, uh, instrument of, of that sort. Um, but we did have a compass. And uh, in my gear, I got that compass out. And uh, we had finally decided that it was probably time to pull anchor and get back to shore. The fish weren't biting anyway, so... Uh, we decided that uh, we'd just kind of pack it up and, and get home. And uh, the important thing, you know, for us, when we're trying to navigate in, in fog and trying to live our lives when, when the direction may not be clear, is that we trust our instrument. We ha I had a little compass and I held it in my hand and, and uh, you know, we look ahead so we didn't run into anything. And, but keeping that, that needle on north, because we knew this, is that the shore went north-south, and, uh, and we were just out to the, to the west of the shore, but headed in the same direction. And I, just, I knew if we followed that needle north, we would parallel the shore and, uh, and eventually get to the place where uh, we uh, had launched our boat. You know, sometimes in the, in the midst of trouble, we forget to look at our instruments. Um, years ago, when I was in high school, my father, we were living in Juneau, Alaska at the time, my father had gone on a day trip uh, with another man in our church, and they were flying uh, from Juneau to Whitehorse, Yukon Territory, and they had flown through White Pass, and uh, one of the features of White Pass is that it has a railroad that uh, goes from Skagway, the city of Skagway, up uh, eventually going to uh, Whitehorse. Uh, and so they followed the, the rail up and uh, had finished their business in Whitehorse. And they're hoping to get back in time uh, to, before the end of the day and darkness settled in. Uh, so they were on their way back, and they were um, following the, the rails uh, through White Pass. 
And uh, the ceiling or the clouds were descending lower and lower. It was kind of pushing them down into the canyon that they were following, uh, the railroad tracks. And uh, to their uh, dismay, up ahead, they could see that there was a tunnel. Tunnels for trains. Tunnels are not for aircraft, okay? And, uh, and so the, immediate, the, the pilot, my father was a passenger, the pilot immediately pulled the plane into a, a, you know, a, a climb. And as soon as he did, they were in a, what the pilots call whiteout, okay? They were in a cloud, they were in a snowstorm, and uh, they could see absolutely nothing. There was no orientation. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a whiteout situation before, but you cannot tell which way is up and you cannot tell which way is down. And usually in the drama of that, it's easy to not pay attention to your instruments. And you are just looking for some kind of visual reference to orient yourself. And so the plane went into a steep climb and, and uh, they were trying to get higher than the mountain, obviously. And, and my father, uh, later, he said that uh, it felt like when they went into this climb, they went into a steep climb and to the right. And uh, that's the direction they thought they were traveling in this sort of conversation between them. But actually what was happening because of the disorientation and the drama of the moment, not looking at, at the uh, instruments, is that they were, they were climbing, but they were, they were climbing to the left. And so they thought they were here when they were actually here. And uh, in the midst of all of that, God still had his hand on them. Uh, because they were just about at stall speed when the airplane could not climb any further and uh, was about ready to stall and drop out of the sky. They were just at, at that point and the, the wing of the aircraft clipped the mountainside and it drove them right into the mountain and everything stopped all of a sudden. Now fortunately they were going at a slow speed so that aircraft did not uh, break up, and they survived for two more days in this whiteout on this mountain in White Pass, and uh, and they were eventually rescued, uh, and uh, you know, dead, lived many many more years. But uh, you know, it it proves up a point though, is that when we don't trust our instruments, our feelings will betray us. They felt like they were going this way when in reality, they were going this way. And sometimes when we are disoriented and sometimes in a fog of, of disconnection or, or disappointment or depression, we trust our feelings too much. And our feelings will tell us to go one direction when we should go the other direction. And that's why we need to pay attention to the instruments. So we're navigating going slow, out in the fog, and holding that little compass in my hand and staying north, we eventually did get to the place where we had launched the boat on the, on the shore of Deep Creek and we were able to get back on the shore, load our boat, and go home. I didn't think you'd believe me if you said I had gone out into the sea and never was heard from again, all right? wouldn't work, but, um, but there we were, safe and sound, but it, 
it's difficult to trust our instruments. Now, as Christians, as believers, the word of God is our instrument, okay? That's what we need to pay attention to. When we are lost in the fog of life, when we are finding it difficult to navigate, when we are having a hard time in our feelings leading us astray, the word of God keeps us on course. It keeps us from going astray. It keeps our emotions and our feelings from lying to us and we continue to go in the way that God directs us. Psalm 119 and verse 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that's the way the word of God works. Your word, the word of God is like a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and be ready to close our service with a final song in just a moment. But I just, I want to reach out to you today and maybe, maybe you're in that place of sunshine and blue skies and everything's going well and, and uh, things are going great in your life. And uh, what I have to say to that is great. Enjoy it while it lasts, all right? Because oftentimes at that great point where life just couldn't get any better, it's followed by a challenge. It's followed by difficulty. You today may find yourself in that place of feeling cut off and disconnected, enveloped by a fog where it limits your ability to communicate and you can't hear and you can't see and you can't find your way. I want to pray for you today. I want to encourage you. Find a place where you can slow down or where you can stop so you can hear. Hear the still, small voice of God. Find that place. Even if you have to leave your house and come to church and just say, hey, I'm just going to sit in the sanctuary. I think that's a great place for us to be. I think it's important for us to observe others who are living a successful Christian life and be okay to talk to them too but sometimes we just observe we see them doing certain things consistently in their lives and maybe that's a pattern we could consider adopting for our own life and then trust our instruments encourage you today to get a Bible reading guide and and become fluent in the Word of God. That's your instrument. It's the lamp to your feet and the light to your path. And sometimes you're stumbling around in the dark. I, I remember uh, last Sunday when Joshua Dreyer was talking about stumbling in the dark, stubbing his toe, wandering in the house in the dark. I thought, yeah, that, that would work. Slow down. Stop if you have to. <laughs> Observe and listen. But trust the instruments. Maybe you should have had the flashlight there, right? So if you would stand uh, as we move to close our service today, I want to pray. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we thank you for good days. We thank you for days when Lord, talking to you is so easy. We feel so connected. We feel like uh, things are just couldn't be better. But Lord, it's the days where we feel lost in a fog or cut off or disconnected in some way. Lord, I want to pray for anybody who may be in that place in their life right now. Lord, I pray right now encouragement on them. Lord, I pray that there would be this unmistaken sense of everything is going to be okay. God is going to get me through this. If I, if I slow down, if I stop to, to listen, if I observe, and if I trust the instruments, Lord, I know that you're going to get me through. And Lord, I pray today, Lord, whatever fog has enveloped the Lord, maybe it's a change of circumstances, maybe a job loss, Lord, it might be depression. It might be something, Lord, the disintegration of a marriage relationship. Lord, help us to get back to the important things of life. Lord, help us to say no to urgent things that rob us of the things that are important. And Lord, that we can trust you in that process. So Lord, I pray that you would speak, Lord, that each person that seeks you out, stops to listen for your voice that you speak and Lord that they'd be encouraged and their faith would be strengthened and Lord that they wouldn't become a victory for the enemy in their life we pray in Jesus name Amen